Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the long-running, award-winning, epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. I'm David Mizajewski, also known as Thornbreak on the ElfQuest forums. Joining me is my friend and fellow ElfQuest uber geek, Ryan Brown. Ryan's our editor and producer, working the magic to put this podcast together. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the ElfQuest Show podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm here, I was just going to say I'm here, as always, with Ryan Brown. How's it going, Ryan? Good. How are you? Um, well, it's really hot here in the D.C. area. It went from, like, winter to, uh, like, high summer in the space of, like, two days. It was, like, 50 degrees a couple days ago, and it's 95 degrees today. So wow. I'm just thankful that this is not a video podcast because I am a sweaty, disgusting mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got the opposite weather than I do up here in Canada. It went from springtime, lovely springtime weather, back to, uh, I think, winter. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, That's April. I- yeah, exactly. I, I guess I, I I prefer the cold weather, but I'm not going to complain too much because the reason I'm sweaty is that I just spent all morning out in my yard gardening and putting in a bunch of plants and planting all of my herbs. So that, of course, you know, makes gives me joy. So I'm not going to complain too much about it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> so um, so we're going to talk about issue 19 of the yes. final quest. Um, we're we're rocking and rolling. I mean, we are. Just what, like ten months out from the, the you know, sort of the the finale, the last issue of Elfquest Final Quest. It'll be issue number twenty four, and it's slated to come out on, I believe, February twenty eighth, which is the fortieth anniversary to the day of the very first issue of Elfquest. So right. that's pretty amazing, um, uh, you know, syncing up of things. And I think it's the universe just saying, "Wow, this is forty years of awesomeness." Yeah, it's pretty cool. There was a little bit of. Uh... A mix-up, I think, though, or confusion with this issue, right? Because we were going to have it delayed by an extra month in order to meet that February That's right, deadline. Yeah. But uh, I guess somebody didn't get the memo somewhere, <laughs> and uh, this issue was released um, uh, just when was it? Last the end of last month, I guess, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. You know, it was originally supposed to come out at the end of March, and um, and as you say, yeah. Um, the word got put out that it was going to get pushed a month so that the the production schedule would sync so that that last issue would come out again in next February of 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, But I guess, I don't know what happened on Dark Horse's side that it had already been sort of slated to distribute. And, you know, I can only imagine the, you know, just sort of all the administrative stuff that goes into Yeah, the logistics dates. around yeah. it is just yeah. crazy. So, But here's, yeah. here's the funny thing. I had actually totally forgotten about that. Um, you know, A, because, um, you know, we're, we're recording this issue or this episode in April because we were originally planning on getting the issue in April. So we didn't really schedule a time in March to do it. But mm-hmm. I had completely forgotten about that, which to me is just, you know, just reinforces the idea that, you know, when when we're waiting and when things go awry, I know there was a little bit of like, you know, some people were panicking and like freaking out a little bit. But like in hindsight, like what a insignificant deal it is. And at the end of the day, how awesome it is that we got the issue, you know, a month earlier than what we were expecting. So yeah, absolutely. Um, it's always important to keep perspective on this stuff and not like freak out too much. <laughs> so we're looking at issue 20 then is going to be released when? At the end of June? Is at the right? end of June. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so so again, like they'll be between 19 and 20 will be where there's a little bit longer of a gap. But again, as much as that sucks right now, we'll want to wait. Um, you know, I think we can all be patient. And also for those of us who have been around for a while, um, it's kind of closer to the original publication of ElfQuest from, you know, the original Quest and Siege of Blue Mountain and even um, Siege or and even Kings of the Broken Wheel, which I think was slated to be like sort of a bi-monthly, like every other month. But I think sometimes that got pushed a little bit, if I remember correctly. So waiting three or four months in between issues is really not the end of the world. Not at all. Yeah. It's yeah. Fine. Mm-hmm. So speaking of um, of issues in issue 19, th- there was something really awesome in this issue. Yes. The best part? No. Yeah. Maybe not the best part. But... <laughs> well, Close best runner for up. us. Yes. Be- for best for me. us mm-hmm. because it was very flattering. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, we had a little uh, profile in the back of the issue of you and I uh, with the podcast and all about uh, all about this podcast. It's pretty cool. So we've got our pictures in there and you wrote yep. a great little blurb. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty neat. I got to show that to all my friends and my family and I was uh, f- famous for about 15 minutes. So <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's definitely really cool. And I'm just, um, I know I speak for you too, Ryan, when I say how appreciative we are that Wendy and Richard, um, you know, made some space for us and also for dark horse for, you know, just featuring this little podcast that we've been doing for these last several years um, in the actual issue. And I think it um, it's kind of nice to be immortalized in that way. And I don't know if you noticed this, but I noticed an uptick in the number of listens of uh, the past episodes. Oh, and good. I, yeah, and I attribute that to that uh, profile of Sweet, the podcast. Yeah, because yeah, what else could it be, right? All of a sudden there was this uptick after that issue came up. I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm, 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 I need to be better about looking at that. And, and, you know, in, in case anybody doesn't know, um, Ryan is the, not only the, the, the creator of this podcast, it was his idea, but he also does all of the, the actual work, like the <laughs> editing and putting it together. And so my little piece of that deal is that, uh, you know, I sort of do the promotion of it. And so that's a good reminder that I need to be better about, um, in between, when the new when the new episodes come out, I need to be better about um, checking how many people are listening and doing more PR for it. So, um, duly noted. <laughs> I think you know what I think we both do a great job, and you're doing uh, an excellent job of marketing and everything. You know, I think the fans know about the podcast by now for the most part. So, yeah, yeah, know, I, th- we, I think so too. Yeah, it's it's working out well, and uh, I noticed too that Dark Horse um, they retweeted you right for the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, every once in a while, um, Dark Horse again, you know, huge thanks. They um, they'll retweet something that I, I post about the podcast, and you know, oftentimes it's when I tag them in it. But you know, nothing wrong with reminding them that we're out there. And um, and when that happens, we we you know, we usually get a bunch of retweets, and um, again, hopefully that is leading to a few more listens. Yeah, I think it is. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's um, before we get to the issue, just uh, do our normal kind of uh, update on the the latest new ElfQuest books coming out. Several things are on the horizon. The not not the least of which is the book we have all been waiting for, and that is the Line of Beauty: The Art of Wendy Peeney by Flesk Publications, which is the third in the three art books that Flesk is publishing. Mm-hmm. The first one is the Art of ElfQuest. The second one is um, the Art of the Story. Um, and then this third one is again called Line of Beauty, the Art of Wendy Peeney. And the titles kind of say it all. Um, but if you haven't sought these books out, you are missing out huge time. These are incredible books. If you're familiar with the old ElfQuest Gatherums, 
which were, you know, kind of a collection of articles and interviews and behind the scenes art and everything. Basically, all three of these books are like the gather rooms on steroids with like, you know, an incredible production value. Um, you know, they're, they're hardcover and the paper stock is just amazing. I mean, these are, these are, you know, archive quality books. And if you mm-hmm. ever wanted to get a little bit of a peek behind the curtain into the creative process of ElfQuest and, and in the case of Light of Beauty of just, you know, Wendy's, uh, you know, her journey as an artist and a storyteller, a visual storyteller is, you know, you, you definitely need to get these books. And, um, so, the, the Art of ElfQuest and the Art of the Story have been available for a while now, and you can get them directly from Fles Publications. You can get them from Tifa. You can get them on Amazon. Hopefully, you might even be able to get them in your local bookstore. And not and not um, not the least w- way that you can get them is directly from Wendy and Richard themselves if you want a signed copy. This is another kind of announcement I, I, I forgot to put on my list here. But if you haven't, if you're not aware of it, Richard has an eBay shop. Um, and that is where he's doing all of the direct sales that, that, that Warp Graphics and Wendy and Richard are doing and all of the books that they have there, which is not just the Flesk books. It's DC books and it's long out of print, uh, Warp Graphics editions of graphic novels and such. They're signing everything. So you can get not only, you know, these amazing books, many of which are out of print, but you can get signed copies of them. So if you go to, um, eBay, um, the, the user is, I believe it's called EQ Stargazer. Hmm. Um, and that is the, that's Richard's profile on, um, you know, on eBay. And that's where you can go and get all this stuff. So definitely, definitely get the art of ElfQuest, the art of the story of ElfQuest, and then the line of beauty, according to Fles Publications, uh, unfortunately was held up in customs. But I just saw a Facebook message that the books are are en route and they are expecting to ship them out to everybody who pledged for them in the Kickstarter. God, you know, a year and a half, two years ago this week. So by the time this airs, hopefully those things will be um, will be en route to everybody. So it's 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 pretty amazing. Yeah, really looking forward to that. Uh, really looking forward to this book. It um, promises to be uh, a real in depth um, look at Wendy's uh, artistic history essentially so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one not just elf quest but everything that she's worked on uh, during her career exactly so yeah great yeah yeah very exciting. all right any other news or bits of things that we want to touch on before we dive into the issue mm, no i'm ready to go all right yeah all right so um issue 19 mm-hmm. things are, are are plowing ahead um you just sort of full steam ahead um this this issue is kind of fun because there's been a lot of heavy stuff going on um with with timane and cutter and skywise's sort of angst moonshade and strongbow and the 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 challenges that they're facing um obviously the humans encroaching now uh, on the wolf riders but this issue opens up with a little bit of fun Mm -hmm. and i love that um that very first page is well the whole first scene basically is ember and cutter fighting and i'm using air quotes mm-hmm. fighting over who gets to be chief of the wolf riders now that both tribes have sort of reunited and um you know i i i love the fact that wendy and richard recognized you know sort of the wolf pack dynamics of of the wolf riders and how you know challenges might sort of erupt but instead of just doing it like you, you might expect where the cutter and and ember really kind of get into it they do this totally tongue-in-cheek fun 
you know, mock fight where they're fighting to, you know, who gets possession of New Moon, the symbol of the chieftainship. And, um, and it's just a fun scene. I mean, the facial expressions alone are totally worth going back and looking at it again. Yeah, I love the uh, second page, especially where it shows them uh, wrestling with each other, trying to grapple for New Moon. Um, just the dynamic poses that they're in uh, while they're air quotes fighting over right. it. Uh, the one thing I was a little concerned about is that uh, New Moon is unsheathed and it seems like it might be <laughs> slightly dangerous to be uh, wrestling over a unsheathed blade uh, while you're yeah. rolling around and fighting for it. Um, you know, they're lucky neither one of them got gutted while they were doing that. Uh, yeah, the fighters yeah. are not known for um, necessarily thinking through in a thoroughly cautious kind of way in the heat of the moment, I suppose. But I had the same thought. I was like, no, you're going to get cut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the only thing I can attribute that to is that because of their heightened reflexes and, and senses that it's not as much of a, a risk as it would be for, you know, a human uh, doing the same sort of thing because they're elves, maybe it's it's not uh, a concern for them. And I, I'm guessing that that's probably what Wendy was thinking when she did this as well, when she pointed yeah. out this scene. You know, they we're we know that the wolf riders uh, in particular have heightened senses, so um, and their reaction times are much quicker too. So I think exactly, that's probably yeah. what I mean... it's all about. As evidenced by how that scene ends with the sword going up in the air and the two of them kind of reaching and jumping for it. And, it, you know, this super sharp blade just sort of whizzing through the air. And, you know, they just they don't really seem to bat an eye at, at, at being able to snatch it right out, <laughs> right up mid spin. So um, and also Mender and Lita are there, too. So if anybody got accidentally impaled, they could probably <laughs> save them. <laughs> yeah, they've got their healers there. Uh, yeah. So Ember says she, she uh, shows throat. Um, but we, we have sort of a, uh, a surprising outcome to this little melee. Yeah. And, and, you know, what's interesting about it is that, um, number one, it's this pretty huge thing, I think. Yeah. And it's just sort of tucked down in this one little panel. It's almost a page, throwaway. Yeah. Right, on page yeah. three. And in fact, it's something that I haven't really seen much discussion of, um, online when, you know, for this pretty significant plot point. And of course, what we're talking about is, you know, Cutter basically turning over the chieftainship of the Wolf Riders, this reunited Wolf Rider tribe, to Ember, and basically he's saying, "I'll just be an advisor." Mm-hmm. Uh, and what? That, I mean, that's huge. That's yeah. Cutter kind of stepping down he's as being the the chief of chiefs, retiring. And, right, he's retiring. <laughs> Freedom sixty five. Which, which you know, my mind immediately then goes to. Um, I mean, of course, like you know, it's a fun exercise to kind of imagine, like, well, what is that going to be like on a day to day basis? Mm-hmm. And, you know, is Ember going to be kind of, you know, in charge uh, of defending the halt when the humans inevitably show up? But um, but also beyond that stuff, where, where my mind goes is what's going to be the impact on Cutter of no longer having to be, you know, have this burden of worrying about the the his tribe in the you know like think about the very first line in about cutter that we read in the very first issue of elf quest this idea that you know he loves his tribe you know and he would give his blood for them and all of that and you know cutter has been overall a fairly serious elf even in his youth right mm-hmm. thinking overthinking things maybe you know and and just putting all this pressure on himself to be the best chief that he can be and i just wonder what these remaining 
the remaining issues in Final Quest are going to, you know, have in store for Cutter now that he doesn't, he has maybe a little bit more freedom um, to sort of be himself and, and his new self now with his new awareness. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, that, I thought that was pretty huge. Yeah, I'm interested to see how exactly this is going to play out and, and what it means for the, the tribe as a whole. Like, how much of a role will Cutter play now? What sort of advisory position is he going to take? Um, and how much... Uh, responsibility is Ember going to have? Is she responsible for all of the Wolf Riders now, or just? Well, I guess they're all still at the Father Tree Hold, right? So I yeah, guess and, she's. And... Is she the chief? I, you know, it's kind of unclear right now to me. What are there two chiefs? Is Ember the chief, and Cutter is no longer chief? Uh, you know, I, I'm not quite sure what uh, how this is going to play out, but yeah, well, I, I guess I would say this. I, I I'm guessing that the Wolf Riders themselves are not overanalyzing this the way that we are. No, and so I think I think you know Cutter says it. You know, like you you're going to be the chief of, of the Wolf Riders, and now this this pack of go-backs that is stationed there, um, you know, to help defend the Holt if the humans show up or when the humans show up. And, um, you know, Cutter says it, I'm just going to advise. So I think that it, it, it kind of says it right there. Ember is chief. She is going to be the day-to-day leader of, of the Wolf Riders at the Holt. And he's going to be there, you know, he's not going anywhere, but he is now free to sort of, again, not be the sole person, um, with the burden of making all the decisions for the tribe. Yeah. Um, this is, I think, probably the first time in the Wolf Rider's history that this has ever occurred, too, which is sort of uh, something new as well. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a chief who's been alive and stepped down and handed over right. chieftainship to uh, the next chief in line. Um, but this is something that Ember has always been, she's been raised to do, right? And, of course, uh, yeah. You know, so it's her entire life she's been sort of in this... Um, position of being groomed to be the next chief so she's finally you know taking that role on um but uh without her her father dying uh right. so it's a yeah. little it's a well little, it all, uh, different it, yeah it all goes back to i mean there, there's sort of a, a story logic to how we got to here right i mean back when the the um the shards war was about to happen uh, if you if you remember the whole idea with Ember taking her own branch of the Wolf Riders was to basically keep the way alive and maybe take some of the elves who were not um, as predisposed to being warriors and get them to safety while the warriors went to go fight the Jun and Winnowill to get the shards back and so I think that's that's obviously where this whole thing started and where the uniqueness comes from because. You're right. I don't know that there. We, we don't have any documented case of, of a chief kind of stepping down or having two chiefs at once. But again, because of the way that the plot went, Ember got to basically be a chief in the absence of Cutter, um, and and it does make sense that she wouldn't just come back um, from that and be like, okay, I'm not I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just going to be a regular tribe member. I think that would frankly be difficult for her. Um, and so again, we get into the sort of the post shards war of Ember saying, you know, I'm going to take. My, my pack and we're going to go do our own thing and again, try to keep to the way. And, and, um, so I actually feel, I didn't know, I didn't know what was going to happen when Cutter finally returned to the halt and when the tribe got all back together. And so I'm actually very satisfied. I have a, as a reader, I have a sense of satisfaction over this plot development, which, you know, I could see it going many other ways as well. Um, Ember keeping her tribe off in another place or, um, you know, Ember, 
being sort of demoted maybe to sort of like the, you know, like Huntress or like, you know, war chief or something like that. But Cutter still sort of being head honcho. And it really mm-hmm. does seem like, again, Cutter's going to like take a step back from those leadership duties and, and, and put it all on Ember, which again, I think is kind of great. Yeah. Um, now remind me, is the entire, uh, like Ember's segment of the Wolf Riders, are they all back in the father tree hold at this point? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I, that, that's, I mean, it's, it's never sort of said explicitly, but I think it's, it's definitely implied. I mean, in the last issue, um, you know, they're talking about going back to the Father Tree Hulk, you know, the, remember the whole conversation with Talit and, and Poole and, and Poole saying, you know, like, I'm not sad to leave, you know, this, this Hulk because we're going to go back to where Scouter and Dushine were born. And, and Talit basically makes the point that, you know, of all the Wolf Riders, the Junsland is, 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 her native land. Um, and so that's where she grew up. So I, I very much got the impression that they were all doing that. And if you look, they all seem to be accounted for. I mean, mm-hmm. Tillit, Scouter, Poole, and Dushine are all, um, I'm just flipping through, are all in this issue. And I'm trying to see. Well, I see Tear uh, in the background too. Right. Tear's there, Ember's there, Mender's there, Dart's there. Mm-hmm. Um, Free Touch. <clears throat> is Free Touch there? Uh, yeah, Free Touch is there. Yeah, she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, you know, oh, Sust is there as well. So yeah, I'm pretty sure all of Ember's Wolf Riders are, <clears throat> excuse me, are in Father Tree Hilt right now. You know who I don't see though are um, are Molly and um, oh, yeah. uh, uh, the little orphan boy whose name we never got. And mm. um, gosh, I'm forgetting uh, the other the other human's name. The um, female boy. No, wait. Not Du Bois. Du Bois, no, du Bois is, is there. there. Yes, okay. But only but Du Bois is there because he came with Rayek. Right, right. <clears throat> yes. Um, so yeah, she, her her name will have to come back to me, or I'll have to look it up. But anyway, I don't see them. And Tinge. Tinge, that's it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, it doesn't surprise me that we don't see them because they are like so super minor of characters, and mm-hmm. there's only so many background characters Wendy can survive drawing. Yeah. So um. But um, yes, to answer your question, I'm reading this as all of Ember's Wolf Riders have permanently moved back to Father Tree Hult, and the tribes have reunited, and Ember is now the Wolf Rider chief, and Cutter is is kind of in this honorary, um, you know, kind of chief of chiefs role. He's going to be an advisor, and um, but the, the day-to-day stuff is going to be all Ember's duty. That's the way that I'm reading it. Now you mentioned uh, Cutter coming back after his. Um after he'd been gone. Uh, so we get this scene around the middle of the issue of, uh, it's just a, a one page scene of, um, the reunion between Cutter and Tamain. Um, so maybe oh, yeah. we can sort of segue into that and discuss that a little bit. Um, yeah. Another thing that I did not see much discussion of, mm-hmm. um, in the last month since the issue came out, but also I think a pretty significant plot development, right? Uh, in what sense? Well, in in the sense that the kind of the driving force of kind of the third chapter mm-hmm. of Final Quest mm-hmm. was was you know Tamain's revelation to Cutter that basically he was you know they share a soul right. and and that drove Cutter's madness and him running away from the hold and the discovery of the rootless ones and you know all of this angst and um, you know and, and sort of this culmination with I think his 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 acceptance of the fact that he is indeed Tamain. And um, I think that was what led him to, 
to want to go apologize to the first cover troll. Right. Um, I mean, which was again, a huge plot development in, in not just the, the final quest, but frankly, in the entirety of elf quest. So, you know, he did all of those things. He's now obviously come back to being himself with this new understanding. And yeah. And so we get this little interlude with Tomaine and they don't make a big deal of it in within the issue. Cause there's a lot of other plot points to get to. Um, but um, you know, basically the two of them are, are, are talking and it, and the way that I read this is, you know, Cutter basically acknowledging that they are the same being in two bodies, mm-hmm. uh, two different, you know, male, female aspect, maybe. And, um, you know, that Cutter, the Cutter part, Tam, was able to fulfill this apology to the troll, which means that that there's sort of this obligation, maybe, that has been fulfilled. So Tamane can now leave and not and kind of have that off of her conscience. Mm-hmm. And Cutter can is going to stay. He's going to stay in the world of two moons and live his life out. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's sort of the culmination of that entire sequence where Cutter was trying to come to terms with the knowledge that Tamane had uh, given him about his true nature. Um, and now it seems like he has some closure on that, and so does Tamane. Yeah. Uh, so well, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I just, as you were saying that, I was actually looking at the page and 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 this comment that that Strongbow thinks, and he says, "Cutter, my chief, is it loss in your eyes or gain?" Um, and that leads into this, this sort of flashback scene between him and, and Tamane. And the funny thing is, is I was just thinking, you know, as you were saying, the cutter has this sort of, I forget what words you just said, but the kind of a sense of peace about it closure. is that, mm-hmm. yeah, closure is that his expression is kind of, it's hard to read. And then, and, and then, you know, Strongbow basically says exactly what I was, I was kind of thinking and realizing as I was looking at it, like he's got, it's not quite a neutral expression but it, it really is it, it, you know it's kind of like you can't read it is is it cutter having a sense of loss or or is he again having this closure and this acceptance and wendy really kind of you know she's a master of expression and so subtle expression and i don't know what it is about you know analyzing his his expression um you know his eyes are kind of his lids are a little bit you know his eyes aren't super wide his eyebrows are neutral his mouth is kind of neutral. Like he's not happy. He's not sad. I don't really know what emotion you would call it, but well, it's definitely yeah. I think I think it's both. Uh, I think it's a sense of loss and of gain. But underneath both of those, maybe surface emotions, is acceptance. That's the word. You That's know. totally the word. There is like a sense of acceptance in him, um, yeah. a neutral acceptance almost. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe you know what we're seeing in that expression is an expression of equal parts feeling of loss and overwhelmedness, but also acceptance and, you know, willingness to sort of get back to living in the now and kind of just moving forward, which is a good thing. So this means that Tamane now she has the, um, she feels like she has the freedom to leave now the world of two moons and Cutter has the, uh, the freedom to stay, um, because they've resolved this. Uh, but, I'm still curious to know what's going to happen upon Cutter's mortal death. What happens to his soul at that point? His spirit, you know, does right. it does it rejoin Tamane's in her body? Uh, is it going to be its own separate entity now? You know, it's very. I we'll have to see if that's even addressed. Yeah, yeah, I would. But, do, I would say good questions, and um, I have no idea. I mean, mm-hmm. Cutter would have to die in order for. Within the final quest, for us to get an answer to that, exactly. Um, and and I and I'm not ruling that out, <laughs> frankly. 
Um, well, we've got what five issues to go, so yeah. So there's I, a, a war army on right, its way. Uh, on its way. So mm-hmm. you know, I guess that's a uh, that will remain to be seen. But if nothing else, you know, again, Cutter seems to be back in his own mind. Um, and on the, on the the prior scene, we get to see him now. Now I'm reading this as Cutter's new wolf friend, Loper. Um, however, I posted that into in the Facebook group, and a lot of people read this scene as a it was Pike's wolf, um, which I, I reread it and I can see how people might think that. However, to me, I would be really surprised if Loper is um, is Pike's wolf, just because. We've we've you know the plot has led up to Cutter getting a new wolf friend. Mm-hmm. You know, Filcher, you know, was old. There was a whole a lot of attention paid to that, and Filcher's death. And you know, Cutter even says at the end of the last issue, he's like, you know what, like I'm ready to like get back to the halt and and get a new wolf friend. And so to me, it it all of the story context clues point to this this wolf, young wolf who, when Cutter fled the halt several months ago was just a little pup and is now sort of a half-grown teenager that Cutter is coming back and, you know, and there's this young wolf that is not bonded to anybody. His name is Loper and the two of them are going to be bonded. Yeah, that's what I read it as too. I read that as being uh, Cutter's new wolf friend. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. So you and I are on the same page. We are definitely (laughs) on the same page. Yeah. Um, We also get to see in that scene, um, our uh, our lovely blonde headed go back Murph. Yes, I love. And Murph. so yeah, and so um, you know more more screen time for him, mm-hmm. which to me again adds up to I think he's probably going to be the baby daddy of Benka's so? little one. But you know I don't know. I mean, and again we might not might not never know might not ever know either. Mm-hmm. But that's where I'm putting my. Yeah, I I would agree with you. I think that of anyone, he's the most likely. But I'm starting to think that we're probably never going to find out at this point. I just yeah. have a gut feeling that it's going to be one of those cases where because they're go-backs, it doesn't really matter to them. And right. not every go-back knows who their sire is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, you know, Venka makes reference to – well, actually, Skywise makes reference to the fact that Venka's baby might be born, not even on the planet. And so, you know, whether or not we're ever going to get to see this baby born, again, there's only five issues left. I, I don't know, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we, we could, the, the story could end on this note of hope, of new life coming, you know, impending new life out among the stars as the wolf rider or as the, the palace dwellers leave. And that might be what we get. And so, um, which I think would be fine. So I, I think we assume that just because an elf is pregnant that we're going to get this like birth scene and we're going to get to meet this new elf, but just being realistic and with a story time left to us, mm-hmm. that might not happen. And I think that there's a satisfying way that Wendy and Richard could deal with that if they choose to go that route. Well, unless we get some sort of a time jump, which is also possible. Wendy and Richard, I have said on multiple occasions um, publicly, I believe like on Facebook and stuff that um, after that last 10 year time jump, mm-hmm. That there's no more, like we're going to be in the now for the rest of Final Quest. Oh yeah, I think I remember. So that. I wouldn't, I, I would be surprised if they did any more than, you know, I mean, several months passed over the course of Cutter's madness, but yeah. Um, well, yeah. even like an epilogue, I guess that would still count as a time jump, eh? So. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. So, um, but yeah, speaking of go backs, we also get. Um, my favorite go-back. I was just going to mention her. We still <laughs> um, don't have a name for her. We yet. don't have a name for her, but um, but she's pretty. She seems like a pretty cool 
collected customer, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, she's not, she's not kind of in the, uh, for lack of a better word, sort of the goofy go back bold. Um, yeah, she seems so a little more serene. More, yeah. Seems, serene yeah. And, and, um, uh, I, I, I can't think of the right word, but just, yeah, again, like a little bit more even keeled than we just see. Chill. Yeah. Chill. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe we'll get her name at some point. Maybe we won't, but, um, but, um, so yeah, then we have Rayek in his incredible new outfit that we yes. see on these pages too. Which, a callback to, uh, his shards era costume, I think. Totally. Which, which up until this outfit was my favorite of all of Rayek's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think he looks good in, in, in sort of a dark color scheme. And, um, you know, we got to see that too in his travel outfit in Siege of Blue Mountain when he left the frozen mountains and went down to Blue Mountain, mm-hmm. uh, which after Winnowill had her way with him and he lost because <laughs> she got him naked and his clothes fell with Blue Mountain. But, um, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so. And I hoods. Really he looks good in hoods. He totally looks good. I mean, sort of the brooding, especially, yeah, especially now, mm-hmm. you know, with, you know, sort of his storyline as, um, you know, sort of harboring this dark spirit and, you know, the brooding and, and all of that. I mean, it just really fits who he has become as a character, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so, and it just, it looks, I don't know if, if Wendy did this or if it's Sonny's doing, but the coloring on it, it totally looks like, like velvet. I just want to touch mm, yeah. it, you know? Um, yeah. So I'm a big fan of this new outfit. I think by far it's my it's my favorite of everything that Wendy has put Rayek in. And and in fact, I would say it's one of my all time favorite costumes in all of ElfQuest. I love that little jewel that he has the clasp at his yeah. uh, collarbone there for yep. to hold the cape on. It's very fitting for him too. It's sort of like magic usury looking, like wizard kind of. So totally, yeah. I like that. Yeah. 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 I guess it, it, it's a little bit more. Um, medieval looking maybe than mm-hmm. than a lot of other costumes which are a little bit more um barbarian or um you know sort of desert native american type look or egyptian type look mm-hmm. uh, ancient egyptian with if you're thinking of the sun villagers that yeah. we typically see or with the go backs like very sort of scandinavian or nordic or you know that kind of thing and so this outfit has very much sort of like a european middle ages um kind of feel to it a very very dungeons and dragons kind of feel to it kind of, yeah. because that's the era that that we're in exactly um, exactly i think the um it's it's clear that the elves are influenced by human fashion design as well right uh well at least Shen influenced. yeah yeah um I, I speaking of that i wonder who made this would this have been uh free touch or moonshade or maybe one of the sun villagers yeah, I, it could have been any of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, we already got um, confirmation at Final Quest that the the Sun Villager Taylor Anshen is still alive and in the mm. palace. Now, whether or not he's even remotely interested in making clothing when he's got all of these new magical abilities to explore, who, who knows? But um, but yeah, we know Free Touch is there. We know that Anshen is around. Moonshade's certainly still around. Again, whether or not she's interested in making clothes at the moment, I don't know. But. Mm. Um, but um, so, yeah, Skywise also has um, some new clothes or maybe an update of, of an older outfit. Like what was interesting is if you paid attention when Cutter's heart circle went on their quest to go find him, mm-hmm. Skywise put on his old his old Wolf Rider tunic. Yeah. Um, 
And now that that quest is completed and they're back and he's back, you know, in the Holt and Endor the palace, um, he's got his slightly more refined looking blue tunic on with like the shoulder pads. And now he's got gauzy um, palace fabric sleeves on it. So yeah. definitely, I think, symbolic of, you know, well, what, 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 what Skyways is thinking when they're having this howl, which is purportedly in his honor. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he says, you yeah. know, this could be the last howl, the last gathering of my birth tribe that I ever see, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is. A howl in his honor, except all the attention was focused on Cutter and Ember. Right, right. right. <laughs> which, which, which the captions even say. Yeah. <laughs> which I think is kind of fun. And, um, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, this thought bubble of Skywise's combined with, in the next scene, um, with the wave dancers having this realization that, you know, that, that spray and salt are like, this is it. Like they're leaving the sea. They're going to leave the world of two moons. They're going to leave their tribe. And the caption on that scene says, you know, um, the two elders must say farewell to the sea and to all they've known. It hits hard. And I mean that and Skywise's comment, I, I, I think in the first, for the first time in final quest, like maybe not the first time, but like it's, it's really hitting home. Like when I read that, I was like, Oh my God, like this is really happening. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we so we finally get now that we're talking about the the wave dancers. Uh, uh, let's let's focus on them a bit. So we've got this culmination of this quest that they've been on. Um, this little group of wave dancers. We've got Salt and Spray and Cora Fay Reef and um, Skinback. Right. And they've yeah. they've gone from the wave dancers' home, wherever that is in the ocean, uh, all the way to the the coast of um, Iceholt and. Uh, so they finally made it, and now Salt and Spray have to make the final portion of the trek inland towards the Father Tree Holt and to the, the palace. Right. Um, wait, is the palace at Blue Mountain? Still? Yeah, the palace is at Blue Mountain. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right, so they're going to go to Blue Mountain. They're not going to the, the Holt. Right. Right, okay. Um, and like you say, it's sort of, uh, it's it's bittersweet, right? We've finally gotten to this point now they're going to uh they're going to split up and salt and spray's intention is to uh journey with the palace to the stars wherever it's going and the rest of them it appears are going to remain on the world of two moons and in the uh ocean right um there's a little interesting uh aside here when i one of the elders i don't know which one it is salt or spray um says something to corafe and reef which sort of suggests or hints that they're uh, uh, love mates, and what is it? it says, yeah, yeah. In it's... Star Home, we shall listen for her perhaps one day soon. It will be a song of love. Question. Totally. And then yeah. Reef and has his arm around Corfe. The two of them, even you know, again, this is like why Wendy is such a rock star. Like even in Reef's, you know, Reef monster fish form, mm-hmm. she can convey his expression. He looks sheepish. He looks like a teenager who like is kind of embarrassed because he's like got his his first girlfriend, right? Yeah, and Corfe's <laughs> blushing. And Corfe is totally blushing. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So they're cute. I think. I think it's obvious. It's kind of obvious that the two of them have a you know a friendship, but maybe they haven't kind of made that last final step into into being love mates yet. And but I think um, I think that's that's where this is going, and I think the scene. Pretty much says so, right? Yeah. So we've got Salt and Spray in their uh, really cool 
um, reed tunics that yeah. everybody made for them. Uh, and Skinback warns them that they they might cross paths with the uh, war men, which mm-hmm. sort of seems to me like foreshadowing that, in fact, they probably will. Yeah. Um, well, and his comment, too, about he wants them to um, pass for human, I thought was really interesting because they are of a height with humans, right? They're The, the, the wave dancers are, are kind of the tall model of elves so um they might be kind of still short for a human but they're they obviously much more passable in disguise as a human than would be again like a wolf rider Mm -hmm. so i that's be really interesting to see if that actually happens and how that all plays out now the only thing that gave me pause about this is that okay so they went to the trouble of making these reed tunics for them and and disguising themselves Skinback's a healer. Why wouldn't he just flesh shape them so that they looked like humans uh, in in the way that Shen Shen has? And also we That's learned a great in this question. issue that there are in fact other elves who have. Yeah. Taken on the forms of humans. We got to talk about that because that's huge, right? Yeah, so, huge. so it's funny. It's funny then. I, you know, I didn't even think about that in terms of of, uh, of skin back shaping salt and spray into more of like a human shape. Mm-hmm. But, but my my response to that is is it relates to some of the thoughts I've been having about these these other you know even more deeply hidden elves in the world of two moons, um, and it has to do with the nature of magic mm-hmm. and the elf's ability to use it on the world of two moons. Mm-hmm. So what I would say um, is that I don't know that, that um, maybe skip back is not capable or doesn't feel like he could fully flesh shape them by himself um, without being near the palace, without the help of Lita, um, you know, Lita mm-hmm. is, is sort of, you know, the, the best of all the healers. Right. And so with her help and with Mender's help and, you know, um, I mean, we know, we know that um, snakeskin is, is a healer too, but he, his skills are not as strong. Um, and I think that Skinback probably isn't as powerful a healer as Lita. So maybe he just didn't feel like, like he could take the elfin form and, and go from legs like fish legs to, um, to, you know, sort of biped legs, but maybe mm-hmm. he didn't feel like he could take it to that, that, that extreme, you know, maybe he's not as familiar with just sort of the human form and anatomy. I mean, he's probably never touched a human before, whereas Lita has, and she knows their, their makeup, if you will. And so right. that's, that, that would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's, uh, I think that's as good a guess as any. I think that's probably what it is. He's just not as powerful and he doesn't have the palace nearby to do it. And in fact, when I think back on, I think it was the, um, the special, the very first issue for Final Quest, um, when they were transforming Sunstream, mm-hmm. um, it was all three of them together. I don't think exactly, that yeah, yeah. on his own, maybe Skimbeck isn't powerful enough to do that. Right. Yeah. Or again, you know, it might just not have occurred to him. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, what occurs to us as readers looking in on this world, you know, for a character in story, it just, you know, like it just might not have occurred to him. Yeah. And maybe he could do it, but, but who knows? But yeah, no, I think, I think there's ample evidence for um, like a really incredible full body shaping that that's not something that Skinback can do on his own. I mean, Lita and Snakeskin also helped with reshaping Reef and they were in the palace in order to be able to do that. Right. From you know, his his deformed form to his elfin form, and as you mentioned, in order to turn 
Sunstream into his wave dancer form. It took all three of them. Lita, again, I think is, is an, is an exception. Mm-hmm. And she was able to fully shape Shen Shen, A, because she was in the palace and B, because she's intimately familiar with humans and how they work and their anatomy that she probably was able to pull that off. Yeah. And also, if you think back to when Du Bois had been shot and they were, uh, this little group was trying to, uh, heal him. Um, wasn't it Skimback who needed help with that? Or no, who was it? Wait a second. No, I'm getting confused. It was Du Bois was helping. Right. Helping them heal Rayak. Rayak. It was Rayak. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that leads me to believe that Skimback isn't necessarily that strong as a healer, right? Because he, he asked for Du Bois' assistance in healing Rayak. Right, who was, yeah. you know, at that point, very, very near death. And even right. Lisa needed help healing Cutter from, ironically, Rayek, when he was that close to death. Yeah. So, um, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think Skinback is obviously no slouch, but he probably does not have the skill. And again, especially not being, like, in the palace or near the palace, it's probably not, um, he probably wouldn't, he wouldn't have been able to save Rayek, and he probably wouldn't be able to do a full, complete body shaping of both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, into human form. But, um, well, two things. One, um, that we, we do get confirmation that, um, that Reef, his abilities do, his shaping abilities do extend beyond his ability to self-shape. Um, and he can help shape others as well. So that's, you know, we see him helping to shape, um, Salt's legs. And they even say, you know, Spray even says, thank you, Reef, for all your kind help, um, you know, with, with shaping of the legs. So that, that was an interesting confirmation. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, we see that here. So he's helping to shape their legs. And then, uh, so was it in fact Reef then that was shaping them and not Skimback at all? No, I, I, I'm pretty sure it was acknowledged that it was Skimback that originally shaped their, you know, shaped Salt's legs and Spray's tail. But I don't think, again, that maybe he's doing it totally on his own. I mean, if Reef coming into his, his shaping powers, um, you know, he's obviously been focusing on him shaping himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, but again, we get confirmation that he at least is assisting, um, with the shaping of, of spray and salt. Yeah. And he mentions here too, that, uh, they're going to return to the, um, the coral palace chief snakeskin shape for a tribe. And then he says some of the others have asked to be reshaped too. Puffer wants poison spines. Right. Yeah. So he's <laughs> yeah. So he's a flesh shaper and a self shaper. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that just goes back to this idea that um, that elfin magic is kind of a continuum. Right. And I think as fans, we tend to want to lock things in, and you know, sort of a very what I would call a Dungeons and Dragons kind of way. Like you are a plant shaper. Period. You know, you are a floater. Period. And I think in ElfQuest, it's really just Different elves have different manifestations of the same ability to manipulate matter. the matter, the matter around them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the high ones in their glory and, and, and it seems like the palace dwellers are heading back in this direction, you know, can really shape anything. Yeah. Um, and, and on the world of two moons, because of the separation from the palace and because of this weird effect that it has on elf and magic, you know, different elves have sort of those that have been able to tap into that innate ability seem to be able to sort of focus it in one area or another. You know, some elves have multiple manifestations of powers like Rayek does. Um, 
and others learn that you can go like Lita, for example, you know, from just like healing and fixing wounds to actually, you know, being able to shape flesh. Um, you know, Widow Will even says it. She says rock shaping, flesh shaping, it's all one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that leads to yeah. the, these new elves that you brought up because, right. you know, and also the rootless ones um, because they obviously, you know, so, so, okay, let's just acknowledge like, Skywise is like, yeah, there's all these other elves. Some of them have shaped themselves into humans and kind of live as these sort of like wise old hermits. Um, others have shaped themselves into fire, yeah. you know, like incredible, incredible, um, extreme use of magic to mm-hmm. take themselves into these new shapes and forms. And, and again, I mentioned the rootless ones. They've done the same thing. They've mm-hmm. kind of given up this sort of, um, you know, this sort of four limbed body to, to sort of, live as sort of fungus and mold and, and all of that. So what I was thinking about all of this and um, is just this, is that certain elves have been able to do these extreme things with their magic, probably only because, you know, I think they probably are still stifled by the world of two moons. Um, and they probably, you know, even though they've never been around the palace to have their, their powers augmented, after 20,000 years of focusing in a certain direction or however many thousands of years, you know, they have been able to focus their magic in a certain way, in a way that, you know, some of the other uh, tribes like the wolf riders or the, even the sun folk didn't have a need to do. Mm-hmm. So my guess, my, the way my interpretation is that, you know, the world of two moons still sort of dampens the effect of elfin magic. And with the reawakening of the palace, they all elves in the world of two moons, I would imagine, got a little bit of a boost from that, even if they're not in close proximity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and these particular elves just really focused in one particular direction and mastered it mm-hmm. and got to the point where, you know, I mean, these fire makers, um, you know, they it sounds like they're not even fire makers. They're, <laughs> they are fire. Yeah. Uh, so, Which is incredible. Yeah. It's, like you say, it's such an extreme use of magic to essentially become an element, right? right. They're yeah. they're like elemental beings now. Right. Which which I think you've mentioned this uh, either on the podcast or maybe you you posted something online. But um, but yeah, I mean, we're getting into this this final quest is really revealing all of these different manifestations of elves that kind of fit many of the, you know, in the real, the real world, real world archetypes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, we've got, we've got, you know, mermaids and sea elves, you know, we've got elementals like these fire creatures. We've got, um, we've got like the changeling, you know, sort of the, the elf in human form, um, or I guess maybe even, (laughs) vice versa, in, at least in the sense of like the humans who were raised by elves. So there's all of these interesting, you know, fantasy mythological archetypes that mm-hmm. Wendy and Richard have always worked into the story um, and really told the story from the, the point of view of those, like the, you know, the flesh and blood versions of those archetypes. So I don't know, like I would love, I mean, we've already met the rootless ones and we kind of know a little bit about them. I don't know if we're, if we'll even see them again in final quest, but um the only thing that it makes me sad is that I want, like, I want a quest with that fire elf, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't, I don't think that we're, there's time enough left to do that. But, um, you know, just the, the, the recognition that, that there's all of this stuff going on that, um, that has always been there that's like behind the scenes. It just is like a testament to the richness of the world that Wendy and Richard have created. And even if they can't, 
you know, do a deep dive on some of these things, I think it does help move the story forward. Um, just to say, like, even if this is all the recognition that we get of the fact that, say, these elemental fire elves exist, mm-hmm. um, and these, again, these, these hermit types, um, I would be satisfied because when the elves do indeed leave the world of two moons, what that means is that there's still magic left there. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I have no idea if Wendy and Richard are going to kind of try to tell the story of some of those other characters that we just got introduced here, or if they literally are just mentioning them to drive that point up. I like, mean, I, I'm fascinated by these beings now, right? I, I want to know more about them. I want the elves to, like our elves, to encounter them and meet them and, and see what these elves culture is like and how they survive i mean read what it says it says but even stranger this is skyways talking are elves who hum as beings of fire real fire they haunt the mouths of smoking mountains thriving on the heat and feeding on the flames don't know much about how they think but do know but i do know they wouldn't think of leaving um so like what i just want to know more about them it's just fascinating what does that mean that they feed on the flames like it it's just so cool and just the way that they look and like what's their culture like do they how do they live you know it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. i want to know more about them and yeah. it, it's just the the knowledge that these elves have existed for probably in this form for tens of thousands of years and we're just getting to they're just being revealed now is amazing like yeah. what what have they been doing for the last 20,000 years <laughs> you know They've been, um, you know, eating fire. <laughs> yeah. And they live in volcanoes. Like, that's so, it's so extreme. It's just so cool. And I want to know more about them. I want to see what they look like. I, we only get this glimpse of one of them, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I want to see if how many there are, what they look like. Are they wearing clothes? Like, it kind of looks like this one is, but how does that even work? You know, it's just, just I, everything I, behind it is just yeah. so cool. It looks naked to me, but... I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's just see, that's why I want to see them to find out more. <laughs> well, um, I would say um, yes. I'm, I'm I completely agree with all that. I want to know more about them. Uh, also, though, I am bracing myself for you know the possibility that we won't. And like I was just saying, you know, they're they're the revealing of them at this point in the story again just might be there to reinforce this idea that just because the elves are leaving the world of two moons, that the magic is gone. Um, and I think if nothing else, that that's a point where, you know, I kind of see a bigger message that conscious or not from Wendy and Richard that, you know, just because Final Quest is probably the last story arc, you know, big major story arc that they that they personally are going to be doing with ElfQuest. And just because, you know, within the story, you know, the elves, many of them are leaving doesn't mean that the mystery is gone or the magic is gone or that this idea of elf quest ends, you know? And I think maybe these, these hidden characters are an in story representation of that idea. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, yeah. I, at, you know, at a much deeper level, like beyond our like obvious drooling over the character design and the idea of fire elves and us wanting to learn more about them, just um, taking it a, a little bit of a kind of deeper intellectual step. That's kind of, what I'm getting out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, also, going back to this uh, human-shaped elf here, we've got at the, mm-hmm. the very top of the first page there in that spread. Um, 
so this is fascinating too because apparently like so shenshen being shaped into a human is not the first time this has happened obviously right right? and it makes sense like if the elves want to hide then why not take the form of humans that's the best disguise there is um Mm -hmm. so it says self-shapers like shenshen and uh called wonder makers and wise ones both feared and honored Mm -hmm. um and this elf here in human form looks like she could be, you know, a, a wise woman or a witch or something mm-hmm, in some mm-hmm. some human settlement somewhere. But it, it is actually an elf in disguise living in this this creepy looking hovel <laughs> in the woods somewhere. You know, it's just uh, yeah. like who is this right. and where where is this happening and you know how did this happen that this this elf took on this form? It's just like I want to know more about this now. You know, yeah. there's totally. well, yeah. Again, talk about like another archetype, right? So mm-hmm. there's sort of like the hermit in the woods, the you know the wise woman, the 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 witch, the crone, um, and and you know they obviously can't live within within the human settlements though, right? Because then people would realize that they never died. So mm-hmm. they probably yeah. are. are, are I, I, I've used the term hermit. You know, they're they're these recluses that they're sort of mysterious and kind of scary, but like the human tribes know about them and 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 you know, kind of view them with like fear, but also with um, respect and reverence. Yeah. And, and you know what else it makes me think of? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Is um, Adarak that was mentioned in the um, Mender's Wild Hunt? And the Wild Hunt. Yeah. Like the, the Long Riders um, have this legend of this Adarak who, you know, has nine wings or whatever. And yeah. I have a feeling that's that's a little thread of the story that's never going to get any more exploration mm-hmm. um, in Final Quest, but it just made me think of that because that is a good explanation for whatever Adarak is or was, um, you know. And, and I think it's Corbasi that maybe introduces, you know, and when he's a kid and and, and he first meets Yun and uh, before she adopts him and everything. And um, so anyway, yeah, that remember just... uh, that that always intrigued me that little plot thread, and we never really got any sort of um, resolution to it uh, after you know the the volume two of ElfQuest sort of ended. Uh, in the in the nineties, but Corbasi um, had this figure, like a carved figure of an elf-like being with uh, feathered wings, and you know we there was sort of this hint in tandem with Adarak of the nine pinioned wings, I think something like that. Called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That there were some sort of beings that that he, those humans, it was the Long Riders, um, right. had legends about these uh, these elf-like beings and. You know, I was always hoping that we would see some sort of resolution to that, that there were, in fact, another tribe of elves. Maybe there were winged elves or something. Something seemed to have been set up that was going to be explored, but uh, I don't know if it's going to now at this point or if that plot thread has just been, you know. Right. Uh, but but that's what I mean, though. Like, for mm-hmm. me, like, this, this revelation that there are these elfin beings in human disguise mm-hmm. that revered and it's kind of feared um to me that does give a little bit of resolution to that loose thread i mean obviously it's it's not saying anything definitive or it's not obviously going to go into any kind of depth about it but as a background plot point that was just sort of floating out there for the last couple of decades like to me i take that and i actually i can get some resolution if i interpret that maybe that's what adarak is um and whether or not that is actually what wendy and richard meant i have no clue Mm -hmm. but as a reader i'm taking this and kind of connecting the dots and maybe tying up that loose thread in my mind um so uh one last thing there in that um 
this montage of all these different elfin tribes, uh, we get a, a little image of Dreon with a, uh, a small group of elves leading them towards the palace. And there's yep. uh, some elves are still coming, even a few cubs is what Skyway says. Uh, and you can see there, there's an adult elf uh, holding the hand of a, a young one, mm-hmm. a young cub. And then um, behind Dreon on his pony, holding yep. onto him is another cub behind him. So, you know, you got to wonder, like, where are these elves coming from? Who are they? Are, are they part of a, a larger tribe? Uh, you know, I, I just, I'm hoping, I, I know what you're saying about, you know, we've only got so many issues left and there's only so much story time. But um, after this reveal, I, I hope that we get a little bit more information about these new elves that are coming to, to the palace or even, you know, see some of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in the palace, bef- while everyone, uh, you know, when, when as we reach the the end of the final quest and everyone's gathered to make their choice, uh, you know, I hope we get to see these elves in a little bit more detail. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we've gotten these little hints at them, right? Like several issues back, there was, <clears throat> excuse me, again, that's the uh, allergies kicking in with all this heat yeah, and pollen yeah. going on. Um, but um, you know, we got. You know this reference to two elves that were in rap stuff um, mm-hmm. because they were wounded, and and another elf that was killed on her way, but her spirit is there. Then in um, I believe it was last issue when we see Saba kind of leading a lesson and how to practice this ability to make yourself invisible. Um, we do see several different elves in there that are not. Um, they're not. They're definitely not sun villagers, and they're not wolf riders. Um, they don't really necessarily look like go-backs, but I don't think any of the go-backs are choosing the magical route in the palace. Maybe there's one or two. Mm-hmm. but I, And I even think the caption says something like, and newcomers. So I think that plus this little blurb is, is again, just sort of this background point that there's a lot going on off camera that we're not seeing, but like there are all these other elves and there really is this gathering and that the 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 – the, on the world of two moons, there were lots and lots of elves that were still out there that we never got to see. But to your point, I, I have to guess that, again, before all is said and done, we'll probably see more group shots like that where we get to see some of these different elves that have returned to the palace. And, you know, again, whether or not um, we're ever going to get any kind of in-depth plot about them. I, I frankly would be surprised just again, given the momentum of the story and where Wendy and Richard have to take it. If they went off on, you know, many sidebars with new characters at this stage of the game, but I don't know They're I'm never going to second guess what Wendy and Richard do. You know and if they do decide to do it, I'm sure it will be done brilliantly. Mm-hmm. And, and don't get me wrong. Like I am, I'm right there with you and probably every other fan out there. Like I want like a whole mini series about those fire elves. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But <laughs> I'm being realistic, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we'll have to see what happens. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's see. Um, How about we well, talk about um, Talit? Sure. Okay, so got a little bit of a focus on Talit in this issue, which I'm uh, really happy and excited about because we haven't seen too much of her. I mean, there's been snippets here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it looks like her... Um, knowledge of the human language is going to be put to use. Uh, there's been this sort of decision on her part made that she's going to help Shuna. Um, she's going to teach the war men's talk to the human tribes uh, and sort of give them a um, a little bit of a, uh, 
an advantage as far as um, defending themselves uh, from these invading warmen. Yeah, um, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and obviously Shuna has already been doing that. Um, if we want to take before we get back to the Talit, just acknowledge this really dark, dark, gruesome scene um, where this uh, woman of the tribes of, of Iceholt attacks the Jundsman and, um, you know, and she speaks in what is obvious sort of like broken Jundsland language saying, you know, like basically Shuna told us about you and we're here to kind of defend ourselves and, and whatever. And, and she of course gets shot. And then the, the war leader, you know, makes this really horrific reference to the fact that as she's dying, he's going to turn her over to the men to basically be raped until she dies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, super, super, super dark stuff. Yeah. Very um, brutal. But, but also evidence of the fact that a Shuna is already beginning to sort of, you know, spread the language so that, so that the native Junslanders will have some advantage against, I'm sorry, the native ice holders would have a, an advantage in their, in their fight against the, uh, the Junsmen. And, um, <clears throat> also, um, I think it just serves to underscore the threat here. You know, I think it's easy for us to write off the fact that this little human army's, army is coming because the elves are so powerful. And even if you take the palace, out of the equation as a, as a weapon, you know, I think we all still are like, Oh yeah, the elves can still kick the humans, butt. um, but this scene I think is so important for the, just the reality check that these are pretty brutal, pretty vicious people mm-hmm. and they're willing to do horrific things. Yeah. Um, and, um, can and we you just know, take a moment to appreciate the character design of these humans. Yeah. yeah. I just think it's absolutely incredible what wendy does i mean we talk about the elves and and how you know we love the way that they're designed and drawn but wendy does a fantastic job designing humans as well and making them all so distinctive and not only that but um conveying uh the character of these humans i mean look at this guy who's leading the war party right now Mm -hmm. like he looks evil he's just (laughs) like there's so much um, he just looks imposing and dangerous and evil, yeah. and it's just excellent character designs. And then on top of that, you've got, you know, the the other soldiers plus um, these essentially like slaves, I guess, right. who yeah. are mm-hmm. clearing the the brush out of the way. Um, and one of them, of course, turns out to be the descendant of somebody we've known. We'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, um, yeah. just the the um, unique design that she gives to these characters i mean the thing about the elves is that they all sort of follow a a similar um design as far as like facial structure uh Uh, whereas uh but but still looking unique right in their in their own ways but they have a general sort of like the large eyes sharp cheekbones etc um but the humans she it's just the the differences um that she's able to to portray in these humans like some of them have big noses and you know, mm-hmm, small chins mm-hmm. and it's just the facial hair differences it's just really yeah i'm just blown away by it i think she's it's she's so talented yeah no i i agree um you will get no argument for me on that count um and another great example of it to me too is is how this um the i guess the great grandson of the woodcutter mm-hmm. how similar he looks to the woodcutter 
<laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Um, there's obviously no, there's no, um, that's not on, on accident, right? That's, that's done purposefully. And, and I do love that we get this little flashback of, um, of Brandon McKinney's art. Yeah. Um, because I think Brandon did a, a, you know, a really good job for a lot of shards, um, especially in the beginning. Um, some of that, that art is really, is really phenomenal and mm-hmm. it, it meshes really well with Wendy's. Um, so I, I, I kind of liked, you know, I, I, I just thought that was kind of a neat, a neat thing. And, and hopefully Brandon is still reading ElfQuest and he sees that because it's kind of a, a nice tribute to the hard work that he put in on shards. I mean, that full shot, full on shot of Talit's face is just, it's beautiful. It's incredible. And it, yeah. I mean, that compares with anything that Wendy's done, yeah. um, you know, and like you say, it meshes, uh, it meshes with the artwork we're seeing here. There's no, it's not jarring in any way to see those, totally. those two images together. Um, yeah. But yeah, just speaking of like the human design, if you look at the top of that page, I think we're both on the same page right now. Mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. We're looking um, in the top left panel. There's the uh, grandson of the woodcutter. And uh-huh. then there's this other guy beside him. And like, you can see the pores on that guy's nose. Uh-huh. Do you see yeah. that? I just think that yeah. attention to detail and you know the the differences between the design of those two characters is just so brilliant. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, I think that's actually a perfect panel to really illustrate your point. How different those two guys look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they have a totally different face shape, and he's the the guy in the foreground has a much bigger, rounder nose, and um, you know, so different hairlines, even all exactly. of these things that go into making um you know individuals individuals mm-hmm. you know another thing that i'm just noticing about that as i'm kind of focusing in on that panel yep. is um is the the this again this guy in the foreground the the other slave who's saying shut up you know don't talk to um to the woodcutter's great-grandson um is how much the inking style that wendy used on in that panel mm-hmm. uh, but in particular in that that guy's hair Reminds me of the very loose, very um, scritchy, scratchy inking style of Joe Statton. Yeah. Who who inked um, uh, Siege. Siege of Blue Mountain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, see that as well. You know, and I think w- Wendy is is I think I, I'm I'm seeing a lot more of this sort of very loose, rough, edgy kind of um, I think both penciling and inking in Final Quest at like done strategically where it really serves the story, kind of a grittier scene or like a flashback scene. or uh, So I, I, it's really interesting to see that because it's just a, it's, it's, a, it's a very different inking style than a lot of what we have seen from Wendy over, you know, in the past where it was really, really tight and solid blacks and, and all of that and how, you know, fast forward to the art that we see in the final quest, how Wendy really is able to sort of go back and forth between all of these different styles mm-hmm. that she's uh, maybe learned to use over the years. I think it's kind of incredible. Yeah, well, you've mentioned that before um, in previous episodes that you've noticed, and I agree with you, that there's sort of um, an exploration of all the different styles that have been used throughout the course of ElfQuest right. over this right. 40-year journey, and they're all sort of coming together and um, being used in Final Quest, but they all uh, are, it's not, um, it's subtle. Like there's nothing where it's, you're noticing the stylistic differences and and they're jarring. It's all very much um, a part of a whole. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all Wendy's art and, um, you know, it's it's manifestations of all these different styles, again, that uh, either Wendy has used 
already in the past or maybe is kind of exploring it for the first time in Final Quest, but it's it's kind of uh, if you pay attention, there's so much in there beyond just the story um, to kind of see and enjoy and and, and um, you know appreciate. Mm-hmm. So what is going to happen now with Talit? She's decided she's going to go along with Shuna and company uh, to teach the uh, the humans the the Jun's Jun's yeah. language and Winkin's being involved in this as well, right? She says something. I'm sure Winkin will help me follow along on Shuna's travels. Yeah, indeed, your light is a feather to carry to eat. So I guess I... he's going to be taking her to wherever they are to help teach the language or something. Or... Yeah, so this is a really interesting scene because I think there's so many different things that it could mean, right? So at the very surface level, it's a scene that establishes, you know, Tilly's going to go out to the front lines and, and really kind of help use her skill at understanding languages to teach the uh, the tribes on Ice Holt. Um, the Jungle Tongue, again, so that they can better um, defend themselves and and uh, fight off the, the invaders, right? So, but... Um, there's also a bunch of other stuff in here. It's an opportunity for us to get a little bit of um, Scouter's character, you know, the overprotective Scouter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a little bit of character development out of Poole, who's just, he just seems like a very, just like a big sweetie, you know, almost, um, he's almost like a touch of his, his, his grandfather, Red Lance, you know, he just has this sort of very um, sweet, um, what's the right word? Um, you know, he's just saying Placid. like, yeah, like I'm, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say placid. He doesn't strike me as placid in the same way that Red Lance is, but he's got this like very genuine tenderness about him, and mm-hmm. and I don't use that term in any kind of negative way. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's actually what makes Red Lance one of my favorite characters, and I and I just see a touch of that in Pool. You know, yeah. like you know his earlier comment in in Final Quest where. Um, I think he said it in reference to Ember and Tyr deciding not to have a baby. You know, like he says something like that makes my heart hurt. Yeah. That's you know? right, and yeah. and then this comment here where he's, he's just saying like, I'm, you know, who's going to come for me if you're in danger, mother, you know, mm-hmm. like he's just worried about his mom. I just, I think it's very sweet. So I think, you know, we see a little bit of character development in, in scouter scowl at the idea of Talit going off and, um, we get this little bit of character development from Poole. The scene also serves as a vehicle to really reinforce the idea that we're not going to tread on um, an old ground of of the Shuna as warrior woman mm-hmm. kind of, you know, that we saw in Shards, which I thought was great. Again, it was this sort of Joan of Arc archetype where right. she was young, but she, you know, th- th- we're getting we're getting recognition in the story that that's not where they're going to go with this, that Shuna, you know, she's too old basically to be a warrior. And so she's really just trying to, um, you know, give the 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 tribes that she has been a part of for so many years something that they can use that only – you know that that you know she it's something that she can give them. You know she, she can't does, give them might, but she can give them this little bit of knowledge that will help them. Right, and she does say something interesting here in the middle of this page in in that longer panel um, where you see her fist, and I think mm-hmm. it's a bit of foreshadowing because she says something about if only my words could reach my countrymen, turn them from their false misguided beliefs about you. And Cutter says they still remember, daughter, how you helped us bring down Grommel John. The fact that that's referenced there, I think, is a bit of foreshadowing, and I wonder what how that's going to manifest, if at all. But I, I yeah. feel like it might. And well, it's also I'll, referenced in the scene with the humans. 
where um mm. you know like they're like when you know when the woman that they kill you know they they say like you know this is not the first time that we've heard one of he calls them savages you know speak our language and invoke this shaman shuna and the other guy says yeah that's the same name as the slut swordswoman of citadel now but she's long dead guy and then he kind of cuts her off cuts the guy off mm-hmm. so there's two references mm-hmm. to the fact that the humans the junslanders still know of this idea of this woman shuna who fought them as a warrior um, so you're right. I didn't even kind of connect the dots there, but um, obviously, yeah. Then, then that's another thing that I would say as part of this scene. You know, this scene sort of exists to deliver all of that. Mm-hmm. But beyond those things, uh, unless you had something else to say about that. Well, yeah. No, I'm just thinking like how that's going to play out as far as Shuna's role in this story and her destiny, really, because I feel like she's. We still haven't seen the full culmination of of Shuna's story yet. I don't think it's just going to be she's like this wise woman who goes around, uh, you know, talking to these human tribes. She's always she's got a a larger role to play, and I think that there's something even bigger uh, for her as far as her destiny is concerned. I mean, we know that she's able to send by um, Searcher and the Sword, right? We we still haven't seen that manifested yet. Yeah, story. yeah. I wonder if that is going to play some larger role as far as Shuna's influence on the Junslanders. Like, right. how is that going to play out? Are they going to go back to to Junsland? Is Shuna going to go back to Junsland somehow and and speak to the people there in order right. to convince them? Is she going to become the new leader of the the Junsland people? Maybe, maybe yeah. that's her. Maybe that's going to be her destiny. You know, maybe they'll project from the palace some 3d image of shuna talking to everybody <laughs> like who knows you know yeah, i just feel like this is being yeah. set up for something yeah bigger for i shuna. I, I agree and that's why i was kind of going through like in my my little checklist of all the different things that we get out of the scene um where i where my mind went and i i completely agree with everything you said about shuna i think that there's definitely some something more that she's going to be doing um in this story and you know and it's not going to be you know, Shuna being like, what's the word, you know, like the white savior. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's not going to be Shuna coming in and, and, and saving, you know, these poor Brown people. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious that, you know, like she's part of it. She's helping them. Um, you know, she's giving them something that she can give them to help, but that they're kind of going to have to deal with it on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think again, that woman who attacks the Junsman is, is a perfect symbol of that, you know, that it's not, um, you know, yeah, she references Shuna, but it's not like Shuna saved us, you know. Right. Um, so what what it is that Shuna is going to do? I mean, I, I agree. I think there's probably got to be more than her just teaching a few words to the the ice holders, right? Mm-hmm. I, there's something else going on there, and I think you're totally right to pick up on um, these little references that are going to. I think they're indicators that something's going to happen there. Yeah. Um, now, can we just jump back briefly to Talit and Pool? Because I just wanted to. Touch yeah, I want to go back. To, yeah, I, I have something else to say about Talit, but you go first. Okay. Well, I'm I'm wondering if Talit's going to take on a human form in order to uh, teach the Junslin language to the Ice Holders. Because if we go back to Dreamtime, which obviously <laughs> has a lot of um, influence on uh, within this story, sort of you know, the, the premonitions of what would be happening. We know that Talit sees herself with five fingers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that it, it, her dream and Shenshen's dream were told at the same time and they connected with each other. Uh, so I'm thinking that maybe Shenshen will get shaped into a, a human form as Tilly. well. 
Talit, yeah, sorry, yeah, Talit yeah. again, shaped. Yeah, you know, so it's it's funny because um, Dreamtime, it, 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 it's funny because you said that, you know, Dreamtime has had an influence um, here, and it, like, I think it's the other way around. I think Dreamtime was influenced by the, the, the initial treatment of what Wendy and Richard wanted to do in Final Quest. Yeah, for sure. Right? Even yeah. though obviously Dreamtime came first. And so it's just kind of funny to think about that, how, how one story that was not yet published influenced one that, you know. It was 20 anyway. years prior. Yeah. Exactly. But, so was, um, mm-hmm. you know, dreams are funny, right? Like there are things that could be literal. Um, or there are things that could be symbolic. So the uh, my gut tells me that Talit is not going to take on a human form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't really know exactly why I, I think that, but the fact that Winkin is going to carry her around and, and, and kind of be her, her partner in crime for this to help keep her safe and move her you know, quickly to get away from the humans if need be or whatever, to me would indicate that she's going to stay in human form or mm-hmm. in elfin form. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm not ruling it out because you're right. I mean, she did she did have five fingers, yeah, in, the, in that dream, and that very well could be, um, or that might just be symbolic of the fact that she has this connection with humans, and that um, of all the wolf riders, she doesn't see the barriers between the two different species. Um, it also, like you said, bled into Shen Shen's dream, so that could have been symbolic of Shen Shen taking on human form. So it could be, it can go so many different ways. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What yeah, I was going to uh, say mm-hmm. about Talit is, you know, I also wonder if, you know, maybe there is some foreshadowing to something bad happening to her. Mm. You know, with with Scouters, um, again, his his overprotectiveness kicking in, but even more than that, Poole's comment about like if you're in danger, mother. Um, right. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. That would be extremely tragic if <laughs> that happened. Let's if something well, let's bad talk, happened to Talit. Let's talk about this for a minute. Mm-hmm. Do we think that all of the Wolf Riders are going to survive? Uh, no. I think some some of them are going to die. Yeah. But then it's and... just a question of who, right? I mean, it might... I'm, I'm, I would sort of guess that it would be one of the elders because, you know, they've they're Wolf Riders and they've already lived these long lives and that's sort of the wolf rider way right uh, so like i would sort of edge towards tree stump or clearbrook or something but then you never know they wendy and richard could throw in you know the something uh, completely different and somebody like talit could die and you know that yeah. would be uh totally I, unexpected i don't even like talking about it it's no i know me neither do i com- like I you know like this. but but i think it's a question and I, you know, I could see, I could see it going the route that you just said. Um, I know there's been a lot of discussion about whether Moonshade is going to survive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, going back to dream time, is it literal or is it figurative that in that dream, only one of them is left at the end mourning? You know, is mm-hmm. it because Moonshade leaves the planet? Is it because they basically got a divorce or does one of them die? Mm-hmm. You know, like, right. I don't know. Um, but I, I asked the question, I was thinking about it the other day and, you know, it's on the one hand, um, you know, realism, which Wendy and Richard have a good amount of in, in ElfQuest, um, 
you know, could, could, you know, a really grounding, could really ground the story in the same way that, say, One-Eye's Death did in the original quest. Yes. To, you know, not just a fun fantasy adventure, but, like, having some real weight. And going back to what I was saying before about the scene with the with the woman who gets shot and, and the rape reference. I mean, that just mm-hmm. immediately, it, it was like just, it, it was like throwing an anchor on this story and just like in a bad way, you know, like in a good way, but like in a bad emotional way. It just yeah. made everything so damn dark and serious that it really reminded you, it was like a slap in the face, like there are high stakes here. Yeah. And so, so, you know. From that point of view, I could see Wendy and Richard deciding that not every wolf rider is going to make it out alive. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, you know, I referenced one eye. I know that Wendy and Richard don't like to repeat themselves mm-hmm. or, um, you know, tread on ground where they've already been. So I could see them not killing off any of the wolf riders for, you know, for that reason, because it, it, it wouldn't add much in the overarching um, you know, experience of reading ElfQuest if they kind of went down that path again. Right. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it can go either way. Um, well, I, I think if, it, nothing, mm-hmm. the, if nothing else, the fear of it happening is good storytelling. Definitely. Right. Um, I was going to say, if you had asked me at the beginning of Final Quest who I thought was going to die, my first response would have been Cutter. That was my expectation. Yeah, well. that he was going to die. Story ain't um, over that's, yet. <laughs> that was the you know the full hero's journey, and Wendy and Richard have talked about this uh, about Cutter's hero's journey, and the hero always dies at the end. Um, but I'm not so sure anymore, especially now that we have this element of you know this uh, sharing of the soul with Tamane, and it's it kind of gotten into a bit of a more metaphysical, esoteric realm. Uh, as far as that's concerned, I don't know if it's the same type of hero's journey that we've come to expect. Maybe something else completely different is going to happen to Cutter. Maybe he won't die in battle. Maybe, right. he, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, he's saying now he wants to live out the rest of his life, his mortal life on the world of two moons. But uh, I don't know. I don't know what to expect at this point. I mean, I have my hunches and my, my gut feelings. And like I say, originally, when I first... Uh, started reading this story i i was preparing myself for cutter to die by the end but i'm not so sure anymore yeah i I was i've been prepared for that as well i i've never been convinced of it um and i still have no idea right i mean again there's still five issues left so lord only knows what will happen but um yeah it's interesting because you you do make a good point that wendy and richard are definitely uh they're they're following not just in this story arc, but across ElfQuest, I think this idea of the hero's journey, you know, Joseph Campbell and, um, you know, this, this sort of type of uh, storytelling that, that has some rules to it and and you kind of follow. And, um, and so I would not be surprised if they took that to the fruition of the hero dying, which as you said, is sort of the standard thing that happens in the hero journey. Mm -hmm. However, you know, just to mix it up a little bit and not be so predictable, I could see them, taking liberties with that, that model, right. And doing mm-hmm. different things with it. And I also think that they, they did something a little bit different that is still fits into this sort of mythic realm and this kind of archetype of, um, of fantasy and mythology. And that is, you know, by making this connection between Tamein and, and, and Cutter, um, they took Cutter from just being a hero and they made him, um, for lack of a better word, 
godlike. Yeah, that's exactly um, what I was thinking. And so that already, that right there kind of tilts the, the hero's journey idea, you know, just gives it, it makes it a little bit different. And, um, and again, this idea that these really important characters in mythology are, are also sort of like deities mm-hmm. or semi, semi gods or whatever. Mm-hmm. Demigods. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's something that is also part of, of this sort of greater human real world, uh, mythologies and I, i'm pretty sure that that is that's like something that you can find in multiple human cultures yes. so they've introduced that element here which mm-hmm. makes the hero's journey just a little bit different i think mm-hmm. um so i don't know I, I don't know exactly where it's going um i could see cutter i could see this all ending with the palace flying away and you know cutter standing in the halls you know giving a howl and then saying let's go catch dinner tonight yeah exactly right i could see this ending with um you know, Cutter getting killed in battle, mm-hmm. and and it being sort of bittersweet, where they the the palace leaves and Cutter, you know, is able to be there with Skywise in in you know spirit form or in you know Timane's body. Um, you know, I I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's uh, it's very open at this point as to what could occur. Yeah. yeah. As a part, as opposed to what I initially was expecting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Which is all good, right? You don't yeah, want it to be too predictable, right? That's right. Yes. Uh, now we know as well that none of the Wolf Riders at this point, or in fact anybody, knows this truth about Cutter and Tamane, right? No one knows. No one knows, and that's another thing I'm wondering: is if he will reveal it to the rest of the tribe and to the rest of the elves. I mean, Skywise knows, and and Lita as well, that they can't use his soul name at this point, right? So they haven't, they haven't used his soul name because if they do, then that full knowledge that Cutter now knows will be communicated to them as well. Right, right? exactly, yeah. And Lita, of course, is handling it with, you know, a little bit more grace than Skywise is, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, coming off of their fist fight after last issue. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, and it obviously is still, you know, it's something that Skywise is still really irritated about. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that once he finds out, if he finds out, he, you know, it'll, he'll, he'll be like, oh, my God, okay, yeah, I totally get it. But right now he's kind of this, like, peevish, you know, he, he, juvenile that is just kind of cranky because he's not getting his way, but he has no idea really the depth of what he's even cranky about. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, we'll see. I mean, he seems to be in better spirits in this issue. Mm-hmm. But uh, my guess is that they will exchange soul names again before the end of the series, and Skywise will understand what the connection is between Cutter and Tamane. Yeah, I, I would I would guess the same thing as well. Yeah. But again, you never know. It all kind of remains to be seen, but... Um, all right, so we've talked about much of everything in this issue. There's two things left to talk about, I think. Mm-hmm. One is um, the really fun part, and that is that Dart Mender get married. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, for lack and, of a better term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, there's not uh, too much. I don't know that we need to, you know, get into any in-depth discussion about it other than you know this is this has been a one like one of the positive notes throughout final quest you know it's obviously a background plot um but it's just kind of nice you know to have some good news and and you know 
the the gushy lovey romantic stuff is 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 a part of ElfQuest as much as like the battles and the drama and all of that. So it's kind of nice to see this happening kind of again in the background and you know Mender and Dart are getting a little bit of extra character development as we go and um you know just this exchange about you know Dart saying like are you sure you know I'm going to like I'm going to be a wolf rider I'm not going to I'm going to live my life and I'm going to die of old age and you have the option of not doing that because you're a healer and and, you know, men are just saying, I can go when you go, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't like to plan, you know, so let's whatever comes, comes. It's just it's just super sweet. And and I think I am not ashamed to say that I was right there with Shen Shen sniffling and blubbering because you know, <laughs> it's just sweet. And yeah. I think that is um, that's what makes ElfQuest special. I think it's it does have this note of sweetness and of earnestness is the word I always use um, that. You know, in today's world of gritty, dark, blah 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 blah, it all it it it, it gets lost, and I think it, it it's what makes ElfQuest stand out among a gajillion other you know fantasy and science fiction stories that are out there. Mm-hmm. It's not just uh, violence every single page, right? It's yeah. uh, there are these moments of romance. I mean, that's what it is. It's yeah, the romantic element to the story that's you know incorporated into the the larger tapestry of of Final Quest and of Elf Quest, and yeah. that, you're right, that's what makes it unique, you know. And it's great to have these moments. Um, and this is clearly a setup to issue 22, where with this big celebration, we've seen the the cover of it. So yeah, yeah the elves yeah. are celebrating. Dart and Mender deciding that they're going to be uh, life mates. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and if can we just briefly talk about the art on this page? Just a couple of things. Yeah. Um, the first thing I wanted to say is the top panel where uh, we get this uh, larger um, image with the characters on the background. Uh, I love when Wendy draws the forest. Uh, me um, too. We don't get it very often. I mean, it's here and there, uh, and yeah. I understand why because the amount of detail that goes into those panels must just be so time-consuming. It's all um, And I think she... I've even read somewhere in one of the gatherums or something where she said that she finds it tedious to draw backgrounds like that. Oh, yeah. Well, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I don't... That doesn't su- surprise me, and I don't blame her. No, nor do I. But I just want to point out how much I appreciate it and how, like, beautiful that panel looks. Totally, just, yeah great to see the forest like that and there's there is so much detail in it like even like the bark on the trees is incredible yeah, just absolutely yeah yeah and um yeah I, I actually posted about this on facebook i didn't know if you saw it but i just like that 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 panel there um just makes me want to go live in the forest you know mm-hmm. and yeah. it like it i can like literally to paraphrase cutter I, I can feel the breath of the trees on my skin you know i can smell the the leaf mold and I could hear the trickling of that stream. And yes. it just, it's the, to be able to convey all of those sense, sensu- sensory experiences just through like a comic book panel mm-hmm. is pretty rad. Yes. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, also um, on that page, um, which I also posted about on Facebook, um, I am totally loving Dart's jacket. Yeah. It's, it's very cool. I don't know what, why I'm like, I would never be cut dead and fringe in real life, <laughs> me personally, but it's Well, if it was the starts. 70s, you'd probably... Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But there's something about this. It's kind of, it's almost like oversized a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, like Dart has always worn sort of more form-fitting clothing. Mm-hmm. 
And there's just something about this. It's almost like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's very much like a seventies or even maybe eighties era, like kind of bigger size leather jacket with like, like a, a shirtless guy in a leather jacket. Yeah. I think that's what this like, whole thing is. And, and, and I'm like totally loving it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of exposed chest fashion that Dart and Mender seem to uh, preference. Yeah. Yeah. And, Ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, speaking of Mender, though, Mender also has a new outfit that is totally, totally like a, a, a throwback to Woodlock, which I love because, mm-hmm. you know, minor characters, but the, a lot of people really love Rain Song and Woodlock and they get, you know, a name, a name drop in this episode. And um, the little bit that we got to see of them, they, they're just, they're cool characters. And I've always particularly really liked Woodlock. He's another one of those, um, what's the word um you know he kind of breaks the mold of like you know male stereotype and you know that doesn't mean he's like a softy or he's you know feminine or anything like that but um you know he's just not like again your typical comic book male um and i always appreciated that about him and um and so to see a little bit of him coming through his son in this outfit is is kind of neat Mm -hmm. yeah uh yeah definitely it is it is kind of a callback to uh woodlance's um Woodlock? Or, yeah, sorry, Woodlock. Um, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to point out, and this is something that Wendy does, it's always intrigued me from an artistic point of view why why she does this, and it's not uh, a negative critique at all. I'm just intrigued. She um, draws noses differently, uh, sometimes within the same panel. So okay. if you look at uh, the on the right side, you'll see Mender and, and Dart together. And if you look at their noses, Mender has a very well-defined nose with nostrils, and mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's detailed. And then right next to him uh, is Dart, and it's very much like the anime-type nose, right? Where oh, it's yeah, just yeah. like a line, yeah. and then underneath it's a, a few darker lines to indicate the, the base of the nose. But we don't see any detail. There's no nostrils. Nothing, and uh, it's it's funny because in the it's Mender in the bar in the background and Dart in the foreground. Yet the the character in the background has the more defined, detailed nose as opposed to the one in the foreground. And it, I just find that interesting that Wendy chooses to do that even within the same panel that she uh, draws in such a different way. Uh, yeah, the noses it's, of characters, and I I've noticed that throughout ElfQuest that it's so- uh, she's done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so funny that um, that the, the way that that you like when you see that like your reaction to it because um, I don't have that reaction. Like I, I obviously I see that right. I see mm-hmm. that Dart's nose is a little bit more stylized and anime esque. Um, but it, it, I don't know. It just like it. I never would have thought. I never would have um, looked at that and said that Wendy drew them in two different ways mm-hmm. because I feel like that to me is just like an example of how Wendy has incorporated anime influence as part of the fabric of all of ElfQuest. So like, I don't look at that, the those two noses and say, Oh, there's one style and there's the other. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like one uh, example of where an anime influence comes out. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, it didn't stand out at all to me. No. In fact, I never would have, thought about it in in a conscious way unless you just brought it up hmm. um mm-hmm. but it is interesting how um moonshade mm-hmm. yes it's is has always had a very anime quality like her eyes are bigger 
um, have always been sort of among the biggest of the wolf. Uh, yeah, colors, I would right? say Moonshade is probably the most anime influenced design out of right. all of the characters in Elf. Yeah, Wars. yeah. And then and then and then you see um, in Free Touch. Yes. You know, she also has this, this sort notes. of anime notes. Yeah, yep. and mm-hmm. and um and Dart has had it as well. You know, ever since the the you know we, we saw him grown up in um uh the first the first time in Siege of Blue Mountain. He's always had this just sort of very kind of um, straight but but rounded, not like a sharp straight nose, like a rounded straight nose. Mm-hmm. With and and oftentimes Wendy depicts him without getting into the nostril detail. Um, yeah, it's so, a, it's yeah. an artistic choice that she makes when she uh, is illustrating the characters, and I just find it interesting from a, a design perspective, from an art perspective. Um, right. You know what the what her design process is, why she decides to do that. Um, Again, not like a negative critique at all, because yeah, I yeah. don't find that it's it works. Yeah, that's right? why I say like I see it and I, I I I hear what you're saying, and it does. There is there are two different styles going on in that mm-hmm. panel, but but as an ElfQuest reader, you know my mind that doesn't even register in my mind anymore. No, you know I see that as just like that's Wendy's art. That's how yeah. she does does it. You know, yeah. so it'll be interesting for when Line of Beauty comes out to see I, I'm particularly curious about to learn more about the influence of, of of Japanese style and and how Wendy has taken that and blended it with Western style and animation Disney style and all that um, I, I'd be curious to see if there's any more insight into that that would bear influence on this conversation that we're having so yeah absolutely I, I we'll would love to. to we'll see if there is something about it in there um, yeah I just find that really interesting from a an artistic perspective that yeah, she sure. that she does that yeah it combines those styles together even within the same panel yeah. like those yeah um so, so yeah so yeah it's art mender <laughs> yeah um all right so so well okay the, the, there's the issue ends um with kind of we seeing a couple characters that have been hinted at but we haven't really gotten to see them but before we get to that um, we do get a little bit of an update on uh, the events of the previous issue with regard to the first karma troll. And we learn that, you know, he agreed to fly in the uh, palace pod from the frozen mountains and, and, and kind of go back to the palace and experience that. And, um, but Lita here shares that, you know, they didn't just kind of like dump him in the palace because that might be too great of a shock. And, you know, his body was obviously so atrophied from just never, working and just constantly eating and being sedentary and everything. And so um, she says that he's continuing to heal um, and that old Maggie has taken him to her considerable breast. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be interesting. Cause again, obviously old Maggie must know this guy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been around since almost the beginning and she was part of the frozen mountain trolls, um, you know, under guttle crawl when they moved from the frozen mountains in the first place. And, you know, she, you know, took care of Greymung as a baby. And so she must know, she must have, she must know the first cover troll before this. And so it sounds like she is, um, yeah, again, she's taking him on as her ward to get him sort of healed from um, his atrophy so that he can then be ready to kind of go back to the palace with the elves. Mm -hmm. And I guess that is the final intention for the first cover troll is that he will be going back to the palace. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, he says, like, 
his dream is to go back to the star home or, um, which I can't remember what he calls it. He didn't call it the star home and, you know, digging its soil again. So, um, and, and then, you know, there's that question that Skyways brings up is, is like, are the other trolls going to go? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know. And, and this is actually a good point to bring up uh, future quest, you know, jink the rebels and then the future quest stories. Um, just in case folks missed it. Um, there has been a lot of, speculation about final quest and how it's going to end up based on what happened in those three different uh, stories that are set in the future, but were published way back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've seen Wendy and Richard post about this a lot on social media and Facebook in particular about the fact that, you know, those stories are generally Canon, but Canon with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, so in other words, they were written from the understanding of what the final quest would be 20 years before it actually came out. Um, and oftentimes were written under the, you know, by other artists or uh, other drawn by other artists and, and written by other writers. And so Wendy and Richard obviously couldn't micromanage them and, 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 and know every last single detail of how the final quest would play out and what decisions they were going to make about it. So there might be some contradictions in what happens in final quest and what happens in those future stories. And so ultimately Wendy and Richard actually made a statement about it, which you can find on the elf quest website in the FAQ section, which I highly recommend everybody go take a minute and read, just go to elfquest.com. And if you click on the about tab and scroll all the way down to the bottom, you'll see there's a bullet that says read the ElfQuest FAQ or frequently asked questions. Mm-hmm. I've actually you know, been helping them to collect some of these um, that we just see over and over and over on social media. And so rather than have Wendy and Richard have to like repeat themselves a million times or, or have people post the same questions or same theories over that we know that they basically said are not true. Um, we've actually captured a lot of that information in the, in the FAQ. And one of them is just, again, this idea that, um, you know, final quest or I'm sorry, future quest and Jink and the rebels, like, you know, Wendy, Wendy views them like much of the nineties era stuff as, you know, different threads of the scroll of colors. So many element elements of them could be, totally canon and accurate for the main core story. Um, but maybe some of them aren't. And so, and I think that that's okay. Yeah. So, so, and I bring that up because there is that one scene in future quest where you see this, this troll, uh, I think his name is Stonehand, And there's this sort of angst between him and this elf called Anavi. And Wendy basically shared that, that in that particular scene that was written, um, to demonstrate this sort of angst between trolls and elves that they, she and Richard feel like they've kind of addressed and gotten past that with mm-hmm. reconciliation in final quest between Tamane via cutter and the first cover troll. So that to me would indicate that that scene really is not necessarily canonical and you can't necessarily, we can't make a prediction on whether or not any other trolls are going to go in the palace other than the first comer based on that. Right. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Yes. So, so long story short, or long story long, as is my <laughs> my typical fashion. Um, everybody really should take a minute and go read through the uh, the, the FAQ section of the Elfquest website because there's probably a lot of stuff in there that you didn't know. Um, and Richard basically is, uh, you know, writes all of that and, and pulls it together, and he's put a lot of work into it. And um, you definitely should go read it because there's lots of good stuff there. 
Yeah, I've read it myself, and it, you're right. It is a font of knowledge, very yeah. worthwhile to go through. And, uh, yeah, tons of information in there that's that's useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So all right, so that takes us then to the final scene here where we get to see who the, the, the elf who is shaping up to be the final chapter of Final Quest's big baddie to mm-hmm. steal from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm-hmm. uh, or the big bad, big um, bad. And, that's, yeah. and that's Dor. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Dor has, you know, he, he's cropped up a few times, um, little hints and nods. And this is really the first time that we could see a full-blown scene with, with Dor and, of course, with Chot. Who's his slave? Uh, mm-hmm. His, his, you know, uh, you know, he's being lugged around on a rope, yeah. and yeah, and so we kind of learn a little bit more about Dor that um, we still don't know exactly what he's up to, but we do know um, that he is basically trying to, you know, still dominate um, and 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 continue down this path that he learned from Winnowill. Um, he wants to dominate the humans. He wants to dominate the other troll or the other elves. He basically wants to keep them from taking the palace. Um, and he's basically he also reveals something neat that makes total sense but has never really been articulated before that um that he's able to sort of read history if you will from the stone through his rock shaping magic mm-hmm. very cool he can tell yeah. you know what has gone before you know via these stones and um, whether or not all rock shapers can do that i don't know i would imagine that this is again one of those examples of uh, a magical ability that maybe one elf has that they've really focused on that maybe all of them could have, but like your average rock shaper maybe couldn't. Although I feel like Equar at one point or another has made a comment about um, something similar to this, like knowing something that has gone before based on the stone. And I can't think of what it is off the top of my head and um, I'll have to do that afterward and homework assignment. If anybody knows what I'm talking about um, or if I'm, just completely misremembering let us know um <laughs> but at any rate i think you know it's kind of neat and he can kind of read so basically he and chat have ended up in the sun village because they're going after dun, 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 the little palace the little palace yeah which has been floating around out there somewhere in everybody's mind like where the hell is it because mm-hmm. if you remember when last we saw it in the again sort of mostly canon but maybe not all canon, um, uh, Forever Green storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, Audrey had it, right? So she, she, it was in the Sun Village, the humans invaded um, with this troll, and he wanted the palace, and she ran across the Bridge of Destiny. Um, she got shot with an arrow, and she dissolved the bridge, and then was wrapped by one of the preservers. And then next thing we know, she is she's been captured by the trolls mm-hmm. um, in, in search for the sword. And there's no mention of the little palace. So it's like, where the hell is it? Exactly. And, and, and we find out in this issue. Yes. So the trolls destroyed it. Um, they yeah. were frightened by it. Uh, it's power, I guess. Uh, yeah. Well, and, I think mm-hmm. I was going to say, um, well, number one, never would have guessed that that's what happened to it. Right. So yeah. it's kind of like, you know, like I, I, it's really been, I've been like, how are Wendy and Richard going to figure out and reconcile all of this? Um, again, now that we know that future quests might not all be canon, maybe, you know, part of me was like, they might just not bring it up at all. Right. Like if it's not important to the core of the final quest and it's telling then maybe they'll just leave it as a loose end and we'll never know. Mm-hmm. But 
the the Virgo in me is so happy that they didn't do that and that we do get a little bit of a of a, a, a tying up of that loose end. And we learned, like you said, that the trolls smashed it, mm-hmm. which again I never would have guessed them doing. But now knowing what we know about you know, with the with the first comer troll and and the context that his story gave to everything that Guttlecraw did and everything else we know about the 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 trolls, those ancient trolls who really were like we're not going back to being pets and slaves, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and a crystal palace symbolizes that, right. you know, like we know that the trolls love shiny, pretty things. So mm-hmm. on the one hand you would think, well, maybe they would want to keep that because it's beautiful. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, these trolls know exactly what that is. Yeah. And that is a, a piece of their, of their, basically it's a piece of, of their prison. Exactly. Their, their species prison. Yeah. So, I know some people, again, I saw, um, you know, some, some social media comments, like they were confused why the trolls would do that. But if you think about it from that point of view, it makes total logical sense that they would be like, oh, hell no, we're going to smash the crap out of this thing and obliterate it. And we're going to take the rock shaper and make her our slave. Right. I mean, think of what they were going to do with the actual palace itself. They were sealing it up so that elves wouldn't have any access to it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So then they find this other replica of this symbol of their own enslavement um the fear that elves would get a hold of this uh, artifact and use it against them would definitely be a motivating factor for them to want to destroy it absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. so i I do think it makes a a good a good you know consistent sense and and again the, the genius thing about it is that at least for me, I never would have guessed that that's what what happened to it. So it got smashed, and it's just been sitting, you know, in the in the gravel <laughs> around uh, the Sun Village, in its you know the destroyed Sun Village, which has now been kind of in ruins for decades at this point. And you know, Dor says like, okay, well, all of these shards are you know crushed, and they're kind of you know by earthquakes and and whatever the volcanoes and. And just erosion and whatever. Uh, but because he's this really super powerful rock shaper, he's able to sort of extract all those little bits. And that's how the issue ends. We see him kind of pulling the bits of the little palace together. Now, what the heck he's going to do with that? I mean, obviously that will augment his power. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, you know, that, uh, what does he say? The miniature and the call will guide us unerringly to the high one star vessel. So he's going to the palace. Mm-hmm. But he also says, whatever foolish plans have been made by those unworthy elves infesting it, this the palace ship is not going to fly from this world. Yeah. So my my thought is that what Dor is going to try to do, in classic kind of you know mad megalomaniac, um, you know, uh, disciple of will fashion. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. he's like, well, you know, yes, I think he's a disciple of Winnowill. He even says that. But here's the thing about Dor is that what I think he's going to try to do is he basically wants to be, like, king of the world on the world of two moons. He's like, we're not leaving because I'm going to use the power to basically dominate everybody. And Mm -hmm. the thing that is kind of great about that is that it just shows you, it's almost like he's kind of like the dumb, boring, predictable version of Widow Will, right? Mm -hmm. Widow Will kind of had all of the same elements of that, but, like, she as a villain has been you know, is just so, so much more interesting. Um, and so it's like, if that is what door is really trying to do, it just, it, it just, again, to me, it, it, more than anything, it highlights like what a great baddie and what a great character Winnowill is mm-hmm. and her various iterations over the course of the story. Like it's much more complex and nuanced than just what door seems to want, which is just to be like the boss. 
Yeah. Uh, you know. So yeah, I, it's, know. I want I want to know more about what his motivation is and what his uh, what his goal is here. Um, but I think you're onto something when you say that. Like he wants to. He doesn't want the palace to leave because he wants to have all of its power and be king of the world, essentially, right? So yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, if if you if you read what he says, you know, as he's kind of talking to um, Chot, and he's, he's like, distracted by that squirrel. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like that's all he you know, can think about. Totally, and and yeah, I I think um, that 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 gave me a chuckle because yeah. I think you know in the Forever Green storyline, um, they maybe boil the characters down to these um caricatures caricatures a little bit too much and mm-hmm. chot always being hungry got really old yeah. in that storyline it was like are we really doing that again yeah but all of that said that was 20 years ago and i think it is kind of funny to have this sort of gluttonous go back um and seeing him lick his chops as that little squirrel runs by i i that did give me a chuckle mm-hmm. but um but yeah dory even says you know he's like a blue mountain um you know, I, I entertain myself by by the fragments, by the echoing fragments of the gliders' lives, and from Winnowell's rogueries, I learn the advantages of dominating others. And dominate, I shall. Um, that obviously is what he wants to do. Like mm-hmm. that is where he is deriving pleasure in this life on the world of two moons, right? Yeah. And he's been at it for a while, trying to do that. And so, um, but what, what's interesting about that is is as he's saying all that, then he kind of. The, the, he says, if only these waking dreams did not distract me, riding on the palace's call, the spirit voices of Lord Val and the gliders, they beckon me, want me. So that's really kind of fascinating how, um, you know, the call is going out from the palace, you know, sort of drawing, you know, trying to draw the elves back in. But through it, Dor is actually hearing the spirits of his people. Mm-hmm. And they're and they're kind of beckoning and encouraging him and all of that. And he's kind of trying to reject it. And, you know, we get this funny scene of while he's getting distracted, Chot tries to get away. And, yeah. you know, then he, he comes back to his senses and traps Chot by shaping the, the, the path. But um, but anyway. What I'm looking forward to is I'm hoping that there's a showdown between um, Dor and Orek, the former egg. Yeah. A Two lot of- rock shapers. Rock shaper uh, battle royale. That's what yeah. I see. Well, and also, I mean, it's like it, it's almost like two sides of the same coin. You know, both, um, you know, imprisoned by Winnowill, um, you know, in Blue Mountain, both, you know, forced to be the the task that they were assigned, mm-hmm. um, and you know, they obviously have taken two different paths afterward. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that would be really interesting. But we also get this interesting comment from Dor about. Audrey and this note that she's like a female of astonishing power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder too, if there is going to be a rock shaper um, battle, if it would be between Audrey and, and door. Yeah. And you know what? let's throw Oric and, and, and um, Ekwar in, and it could just be a rock shaper battle Royal. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of a nod and a wink, I think to sort of the convoluted story that forever green uh was became um in that scene where uh uh door is um getting the story from the rocks on what happened 
mm-hmm. to the Sun Village. Uh, he says humans, many humans came f- came through battle, invasion, chaos. It's all muddled. I can't help but think that that is a bit of a, a nod and a <laughs> wink from Wendy and Richard to you know the, that storyline and yeah. how it, how canonical it actually is and how things kind of contradicted each other's story elements and it was a bit sort of muddled. That's really funny because again, that's not something that um, that occurred to me when I read that line. But yeah, that might be a little bit of the real world sneaking its way mm-hmm. into um, into the storyline. And and you know, I mean, I think there were some good good things in that that storyline. But I think anybody reading it, especially now in hindsight, can see it kind of meandered a little bit. And yeah, you know, th- frankly, uh, you know, there were some issues with the art quality, and yeah. um, you know, and and so I really enjoyed the the first portion of. For uh, Forever Green, or I guess it was New Blood at that point, um, with right, the invasion yeah. by the Gobacks, and yeah, yeah, I, I really thought that was cool. And when Winkin first went to the Forever Green, and I, I found that portion of the story really intriguing. But then as it went on, I found it started to drag, yeah. and, and like you say, meander. And by the end, I I actually gave up on it and yeah, finished reading it. So totally. well, you know what? I, I I have to guess that what you liked about those the, the the elements that you just mentioned were because those were things that probably um, were story that were developed by Wendy and Richard, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe just Richard. I don't know how how involved Wendy was with that, but I know Richard was. And so um, I think that there's a there was a such a there's a core of really good stuff there, like you said. You know, the, you know, what happens in the Sun Village as the human, you know, like we know humans have, you know, driven the wolf riders out of their homes. What happens in the Sun Village when the human population grows and they get wiped, they get pushed out? What happens in the Sun Village when the volcano explodes? What happens, you know, with the Gobacks coming after this, you know, this piece of the palace and that the war and the aftermath of that? Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of, you know, what happened to, to Dor after Siege of Blue Mountain. All of those things went into, this uh, into the forever green. And then, and then to me, the most intriguing was, you know, how the Hone Gate show kind of evolved yeah. into, you know, having these like high priests who would cut off their fingers and, you know, try to get into like shaping themselves to actually look it could, it, it was a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, I think as that story went on um, and maybe there wasn't a clear vision where it was going or where it was ending. And again, the art quality kind of got a little wonky and mm-hmm. I, I feel like, Wendy and Richard's influence was um, probably less at those stages of the story, which probably accounts for why it went the way that it did. Right. So I think you're probably right. And I, and I, I'll say this, you know, again, for, I, I there was a lot that I really enjoyed about it. Um, it's not my favorite of quest story and I am perfectly happy to take the version of it that we see in final quest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the nods to that storyline of what actually happened, like, I probably like that's good enough for me, you know. Yeah. Like I think that um, that's that's how I'm going to remember that storyline. It's through the lens of Final Quest. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that we're seeing Shot and Door, uh, I'm wondering if we are going to get the answer that we've all been waiting for, and and uh, finally know in Final Quest what's become of Jethel. <laughs> because I mean that's. You know, that's the number yeah. one concern of this storyline. <laughs> of course, right? I mean, there's no point. Again. There's no point in Final Quest <laughs> at all, unless we get the answer to that question. Exactly. No. Um, exactly. If you if you couldn't tell, we're being very facetious. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm like I said, I'm perfectly happy to take, you know, to see and interpret and know uh, the Forever Green storyline through 
what Wendy and Richard have done with it in the final quest. And if that includes never finding an answer to that character's fate, I'm totally fine with that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One last mention. Um, So Dart and Mender are going to have, we're going to have this big party for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, Ember says to Sunstream, uh, the, the celebration won't be complete without Moonshade. Do you think she'll come? And uh, Sunstream says, I'm sure I'm sure of it. I'll go and fetch her. Uh, I feel like that's sort of a setup for something, too. Like, maybe some something's going to happen, a resolution between uh, Moonshade and Strongbow. I don't know. Yeah. Just the fact that they specifically make a point of mentioning Moonshade and that and Sunstream she's is going to he's going to go get her and it's sort of left on a bit of a cliffhanger for that. Like, Oh, what is going right. to happen when he goes to get moonshade? You know, totally, I feel like yeah. that's a setup for something for the next issue. Right. And they're on the cover of issue 20 and they are, mm-hmm. you know, there, it's not a, um, an unpleasant expression on either of their faces. You know, it's, it's not, they're not as joyous as everybody else on the cover mm-hmm. who like are like partying hard. Right. But, yeah. um, but it's not a negative expression either. So yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think that obviously is a little into the foreshadow that we're going to see some more development in the Strongbow Moonshade storyline in the next issue. Yes. Yeah. All, All right. right. Well, that mm-hmm. uh, is everything that I had on my list to cover. Um, Anything yeah, that's else? it for me. Yeah. Oh, uh, I think there, we got everything. Mm-hmm. I did think of one last thing. It's um, just again how um, what a great character Equar is, um, and and reinforcing one of I think the biggest messages, if there are messages at all in ElfQuest, and that is, um, you know, what he says to Rayek about forgiving, um, you know, uh, in the conversation about the first cover troll, you know, where yeah. Equar's like, oh, he sounds like a dear old thing, and Rayek's like, well, he this jerk like tortured and enslaved you. And, you know, he's like, you know, but the high ones and they made pets of, and servants of him and his kin forgiveness is the only answer. I think, um, I don't know. That's just a, a classic Equar and another example of the earnestness and the positivity that Wendy and Richard have woven throughout. All this. So I just, yeah. that, that might be a, a good place to, to end the, end the episode on that high note. Equar oftentimes acts as the sort of, the moral conscience of ElfQuest, I find. Yeah, uh, I and agree. particularly in Final Quest, you know, he comes out with these snippets of wisdom where you go, "Oh, okay, yeah, so that's what this is about." Mm-hmm. I still want to see him wearing that hood though at some point. Oh, I know, I know, right? <laughs> right, because wearing it's like his teasing hood. me because it's always hanging over his back. I'm like, I want to see it on his head. I want to see what it looks like. Yeah, I don't know why. Totally... I just want because I don't know. It'd just be cool to see it. Yeah, no, I, I totally, um, I totally agree. Um, I don't know what it is, but I've always loved an elf in a hood. <laughs> you know, it like, looks so good on them. It, it really does. You know, Ray like in his hood. Um, yeah. Moonshade has worn a hood. Yep. Um, so capes um, and hoods. I, listen, you don't have to tell me. I am the hugest fan of of a cape, but if I could pull the look off in real life, I would totally do it. <laughs> in the privacy of my own home, I, I have been known to you know, wear, wear a blanket in a cape-like fashion, and my friends and family will, if they hear this, will totally back that up and mock me, but yeah. There's... For me, it's beach towels. Yeah, same thing, right? <laughs> All right, we're descending into silliness, so I think, um, why don't we call it a wrap? And um, just a reminder to everybody that issue 20 of Final Quest will not be out until June. So there's a little bit more of a, of a 
longer gap between um, uh, issues. And of course, this podcast is coming out, um, it won't be coming out until early May. So hopefully this will fill the gap a little bit um, since there won't actually be a new a new issue of ElfQuest Final Quest. Mm-hmm. All right. All righty, guys. Well, I guess we will see you next time. Um, and, you know, happy reading. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. Bye. The music that you heard at the top of the podcast was a track called Hunting for Experience by Epicus from their album An Epic Journey. You can find music by Epicus and thousands of other artists royalty-free for your podcast or multimedia projects on jamendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot com. Well, that's it for this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. As always, you can join the discussions on ElfQuest.com, on Twitter at, at ElfQuest, or on any of several Facebook pages, including the official ElfQuest Facebook page and the ElfQuest Facebook fan page. Don't forget, you can read the entire ElfQuest back catalog at ElfQuest.com, along with tons of other great stuff, like character bios, behind-the-scenes features, and more. The Final Quest is published by Dark Horse Comics, and you can get the latest issue of ElfQuest the minute it comes out at digital.darkhorse.com. Until next time, shade and sweet water.